0: Welcome back, it's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Sony is trying to improve the accessibility experience of playing video games. They are introducing an updated accessible controller for gamers with disabilities. The controller has Elizabeth Moeller's attention. Elizabeth, hello again.
1: Hello again, Dave, let's play.
0: Let's play indeed. So Elizabeth, what features from this particular controller caught your attention?
1: Yeah, for sure. So it's interesting that the creators of this controller really wanted it to be universally accessible to people with a wide variety of disabilities. So sometimes we get technology and it's like, that's great for people that can see, but it might not work well for people um, who can't see or people that have physical disabilities um, versus people that, that, have, um, that don't. And so I think one of the things that really impressed me was its, it's you know, universality. Um, and it's, it's got a really highly customal plate customizable play experience, um, so you can have it sort of sitting. Um, you don't need to hold it, which is great for people that might need to put it on like a wheelchair tray table or put it sort of on a, on a tabletop just in general. It's really neat. You can perform the north orientation on those the analog sticks of the control to, to suit sort of what you need as a player. And you can also do, um, switching in and out of buttons. So if certain but- buttons are harder to press, you can switch those in and out to make the experience a little bit easier for you, depending on your dexterity levels, which is really great. Um, really cool. You can actually store your, um, programmed button settings as profiles. So you're not having to, I don't know about you, but it's really annoying when you get a controller and every time you have to program it. Oh, you have to, yeah. Okay. What, you know, what did I do last time? Was it this or was it this? And then you're like, okay, did I have, did I have this setting or this setting? So this is a really nice feature. Um, for people like me that have sort of remote phobia or control phobia, I guess you could say. (laughs) (laughs) But one other thing I really want to point out is that it works with other devices, right? So as people with disabilities, we're often using multiple devices and it looks cool. Like I know there'll be some pictures coming up, but it doesn't look like sort of a very medical hospital-like device. And again, often as people with disabilities, our devices kind of can make us look a bit like cyborgs, which I'm all for, but I really liked that about this device.
0: Yeah, what's really neat about this one, the picture's up on the screen right now, is you really identified that customization in terms of the flat surface and the switching in and out of individual buttons to customize it to your needs. And Sony's not the only major video gaming company that's doing this. Uh, Xbox and Microsoft also put out something called the adaptability controller a couple of years ago that also has some of that customization, not as much customization in terms of the switching in and out of buttons, but still utilizing a flat surface, using a board, and then being able to do some of that individual mapping of what buttons are going to do for you. And again, these are small steps towards different major video game companies moving towards a more inclusive inclusive environment, but to your mind, how does a controller like this or the Xbox adaptive controller end up being more than just a physical accessibility advancement?
1: Yeah, it's it's way more. I think for me, when I when I look at something like this, and I look at other accessible gaming consoles and other accessible gaming options, I think about inclusion and social social participation. Yeah. So I, um, you're you're gonna learn something about me. I'm a little bit of a nerd. And about four years ago, uh, maybe five, I joined a group that does gaming on Saturday nights. So sometimes we do like tabletop role playing, which is you know game gaming with dice. But sometimes, and certainly during the pandemic, we did this this kind of Gaming. And what it really meant for me was a place I could go. And the disability wasn't the forerunner. It wasn't the thing that people saw or needed to adapt or needed to think about. We were all playing this game together. We were all working as a team. We were laughing, um, sometimes arguing about who's going to get the bad guy. But the point is it it really built community. And I, I want to just kind of take this a step further, because I think sometimes there's discourse about the harms in video games, and I'm not denying that that can happen, but I think especially for folks like myself and others who sometimes struggle to find activities where, frankly, we can participate at the same level. This is a, this is a game changer. And I realized the pun after it came out of my (laughs) mouth, but it's, (laughs) it really, for me is about um, building community, but also building skills. So, you know, you're learning about teamwork and problem solving and, you know, for younger ones about turn-taking. So this really, to me is about uh, a way where people can come together over a common love of something, right? And who doesn't want to do that?
0: What games have jumped out to you? Like, what's appealed to you? I'm a little bit more of a sports gamer. On my end, I like creating these little sports universes and just looking mm. for some escapism. Be- because because uh, a little bit of race cars, but, but, okay. I, defi- but I definitely prefer things like uh, boxing, football, uh, basketball, nice. hockey, and a lot of, like, the franchise mode kind of stuff, yeah. career yeah. mode yeah. kind of stuff. So sometimes yeah. it doesn't even necessarily involve playing the game. There's sort of this intellectual and strategic escape that I like. I like creating Mr. my energy. own little universe. And to me, Elizabeth, you're talking about the social inclusion side, and I'm like big time into that. But I also think about individual escapism. Uh, yeah. I've, I've been talking to people about about what. I do to decompress or unplug Mm -hmm. and I have found these little spaces in video games that I'm doing something that is mentally stimulating But also fairly unconscious and and like to me like there's a huge benefit in doing that in these franchise modes or career modes That just let me walk away from the real world for 30 minutes, an hour, maybe 90 minutes. Or on Saturday I might have dived a little deeper uh, than usual into my binge. (laughs) But, But what are some of the games that end up drawing your attention?
1: You know, it's interesting. This is a question I was thinking about because what's drawn my attention has changed as my vision has changed. Mm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna date myself. You might remember Duck Hunt. Of course. That was the first, okay, right. Um, and and you know, they had the music and the little like pointy gun that you would you would shoot the ducks at the screen. So a little violent, but that was one I could play when I had more sight. Um, and then I moved into everybody was doing the dance, dance revolution with the mats <laughs> and I <laughs> You, but that just as a blind person who no longer can see colors, by the time somebody describes where to go, I'm already on top of somebody. So that was fun for a time. Um, And then the sort of the karaoke uh, video games that came out in sort of the 2009s. But now it's more about um, strategy, like you say, and words. So I've discovered one I love called Tales from the Loop. So think kind of stranger things, but, um, you know, for video game and also for tabletop playing. Basically, late eighties, bunch of kids, 10 to 15 years old, discover these creatures that live in a loop under their town. And although the, the children aren't in grave danger, they are in danger. So mm. you're kind of, you're working as a team to sort of bring, um, these creatures to some sort of rest. Um, I also love monster hearts. Your professor is a werewolf, so that can be fun. And sometimes <laughs> maybe a little close to home. I don't know. Um, but my, my gaming has changed as my disability has changed. And I think that's a really interesting thing to sort of reflect on because um we still have a long way to go and i would i would ask you have you had that experience have you sort of changed as as um either time's gone on or games have become more or less accessible
0: so because my vision has been relatively stable my entire life sort of sitting in that 8 to 10% uh, range depending on the day the lighting and my glasses <laughs> uh you i haven't have I've, not, I, I've not i've not like my personal tastes have not changed a ton but my observation of the industry has changed a ton mm-hmm. because there's a bit of backing and forth in there's some progress and there's some regress. And I, I said some positive things about some EA sports games that I like to play uh, earlier in this segment, like their NHL franchise, their FIFA franchise, their boxing franchise, really liked these games But Elizabeth, it can end up being a little bit of a crapshoot on the progress they make and then take away on their accessibility front. Mm -hmm. That maybe for a year or two, they're doing a really nice job with big fonts on screen with all the text, and they're doing a great job with color contrast and even allowing you as a gamer to go in and do a little bit of customization so that you can make the software meet your needs or meet your preferences, I should say. Maybe needs might be a little bit too far on that front but then after a couple of years some designer comes in and says oh this is too clunky we've got to go do something else so Mm -hmm. what I'm observing here is a little bit of progress and a little bit of regress and what it's going to take is a consistent standardized effort where you start thinking about the physical, so that's the adaptive controllers that you've got here that you talked about that you've identified, that's going to involve the operating systems of the, of the systems themselves that allow you to save profiles and do some of those components that, so, so there's a continuity. And then number three is the game development itself that continues to follow the model of building in as many accessibility features or customization features as you can without backtracking too much on best practices. Because you need all of these things working together in a continuity or else you're just never going to build the requisite momentum.
1: Yeah, it's really disappointing when, you know, a game changes or an update happens and you can't play it. That's actually happened in our group and we've had to, I won't use the word pivot. We've had to adapt. Um, you know, I think the other thing that's really interesting to think about is like um, accessibility for sort of multi-disability, right? So not just a person with multiple disabilities, but people with different disabilities playing yeah, together. So I alluded yeah. to this at the beginning, right? Like you and I have different levels of vision, right? So maybe you need color contrast, but I need speech. So what I really want want to see is more work around, OK, so a bunch of us with different abilities are playing together. And what does that look like so that everybody can actually play and somebody's not going, I can't see this or this doesn't work that the flashing lights are really harming my eyes. Yeah. So that's that's what I want to see as a next step.
0: I, I think it also needs to be really clear that a lot of the AAA or big releases are going yes. to have to put this effort together, because if you're really talking about that social inclusion fabric that you're referring to and that I totally agree with people don't want to go play the really crappy game together just because it has accessibility features. Yeah, yeah. They want to play the good stuff, too. And that's where maybe folks like uh, The Last of Us Part 2, that's uh, Naughty Dog, uh, that, that video game production company, has sort of put that effort in on the front end to say, we want to build as many features as we can in here. And again, it's not perfect. There are still moments no. where, where where the game is not accessible, but they're trying their best to sort of say, we are a A game, we're one of the best out there on the market, and we're going to try to get as many people into our tent as possible and ultimately when you're talking about games that cost 75 or 100 dollars you know you don't want to uh, roll the dice with that right i'm not going to buy a new hockey game for a while because the last time i did i rolled the dice and all of a sudden it was 40 dollars out of my bank account that i'm not going to get back
1: yeah, and I mean that is something to note. Just the cost of this remote is is ninety dollars. Yeah, but hundred bucks. Um, yeah, you know, about a hundred bucks. Yeah, so something something to think about for sure. And and you know, I think just beyond disability, like there's so many benefits to other other populations, certainly older adults. Um, you know, in terms of uh, getting, you know, keeping up skills, um, but also just with um the ability to to have some um you know physical activity that doesn't require maybe going outside in the winter because some of these games can be pretty active. Yeah. Um. So. So I think there's really cool, like I always say this, right? Like it's beyond just disability. These accessibility things are going to benefit everybody in a really meaningful way. Um, and I think it's exciting to sort of see where this discourse goes around, like how can gaming actually be used to help and um, shifting that conversation?
0: Yeah, big shout out to my buddy, Ben, We we like to play over Xbox Live, mm-hmm. a little bit of golf or a little bit of hockey. And uh, it's super fun. It's super easy to be social. And it's like two clicks of a button and away you go. So uh, very good times. Elizabeth, thank you for this. Have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow.
1: I will. Talk to you tomorrow.
0: That is Elizabeth Moeller coming up after the break. Ramya Emuthan stops by with a preview of what's coming up on Kelly and Company today. Not Kelly and Company. Kelly and Ramya. Get it right, Dave. That's 2 p.m. Eastern time. But Ramya wears plenty of hats around this corporation, including the AMI audiobook review. I was recently featured on an episode. So Rummy and I will talk about that and a little bit about audiobooks more generally. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.